I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is no better group of pots of flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with your gardening quandaries. Our thanks to Suttons of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast. The back end of uh, January is very much conference and international trade show season as far as I'm concerned. And in the next week or so, I've got the uh, Horticultural Trades Association contact conference. There's the uh, British uh, bedding plant people. They've got their conference and uh, annual general meeting. The Garden Centre Association down in Bristol, they've got their annual review. That's always very useful because we see literally hundreds of pictures taken on British garden centres from uh, all points in the compass. And and then uh, in Germany, there's the IPM at Essen the international horticultural meeting and gathering. I think there'll be eight or ten halls packed with everything to do with horticulture. You need to get to some of these things, mainly to meet people, and then just hear what's planned for the new gardening year. From what I've heard so far, there's lots lots of new plants, lots of new ways to grow things, uh, and the whole business is really buzzing. For something like 12 years, every September... Uh, I would load my lawnmower into the front seat of the car and drive to Birmingham on a Friday and do a little gardening insert for a live TV programme called Pebble Mill at One. And when I got there, uh, hopefully half past nine, ten o'clock, and, and over those 12 years, I don't think we missed a Friday, regardless of weather, Uh, I would put myself uh, in the hands of the producer-director of the day and on a number of occasions it was one John Smith from uh, the Midlands Uh, and John has kindly agreed to join us today. Uh, uh, John, we have very many happy memories, don't we, of Pebble Mill at One in Birmingham? Yes, the programme started daytime television, really. We had a very good editor who gave us a fairly free hand. And things got started there that even nowadays are still being carried on on television. Perhaps for those who uh, didn't watch or know about Pebble and Mill at One, we should explain. I mean, it was a magazine programme, started with music, didn't it? Yeah. And then you would have all kinds of things, uh, 
five days a week from Monday to Friday. But the main thing was most of it was live. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, regardless of the weather. <laughs> oh, we, we took advantage of the weather sometimes. I mean, with the music, you quite often would get people like Stuart Gillis or oh, some, of, some of the big American stars would come in and we'd say to them, excuse me, you're not in the studio today, you're outside in the snow. <laughs> most of them would just put the coats on and off they went, you know. So, so you would start with music and end with music. Yeah. And then there would be a theme some days... I mean, you were the pioneers of uh, in-studio cooking, weren't you? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I mean, some some of the big names on television of the day were started off on Pebble Mill One. Gary Rhodes was part of it. Brian Turner. Yeah. And of course, Michael Smith. Michael Smith, who was very famous because he did all the cooking for a TV drama called Upstairs Downstairs. But then uh, you did fashion. You spawned the clothes show. Yeah and did all kinds of travel items. We went down as far as Antarctica and uh, as far north as uh, Trondheim in Norway and lots of places in between. And I seem to remember you, Peter, joining me down in Monte Carlo. (laughs) I'd forgotten about that. What, with the helicopter trip? Yes. Yes. Yeah. In the cactus garden, if I believe, if I remember correctly. It it was, right on the cliffside there. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I remember we... We flew you in in the morning and you flew out that evening. Yeah. And we produced a half-hour programme in the middle. Now, John, you had some very good connections with the services, the uh, Army, the Navy and Air Force. But particularly with the Navy. They were the people that landed the two Harrier jump jets at Pebble Mill. That came about because we were asked to do the decommissioning of the Ark World in about 1983. We were interested in... Well, I was interested in bringing a Harrier in and we're getting nowhere. And when we were on our crawl, I was up on the bridge with the captain, and I was asked, asked him, he said, what are you doing next? He said, oh, I'm going to be in charge of the fleet air arm. I said, pardon? He said, the fleet air arm? I said, Harrier jump jets? He said, yes. I said, Pebble Mill? He said, give me six months and we'll have one with you. <laughs> I remember that, John. How far away would I have been? I suppose about 150 yards or 100 yards. And when oh, you drop, when you, no. when you drop that down into the backyard at Pebble Mill, blew all my seeds and pots and everything to the four winds. <laughs> yes, it's a, a bit of a thrust, though, wasn't it? <laughs> a bit of a thrust. I think, yes, both when it came down and even more when it went up again. <laughs> what would health and safety and risk assessment say about that these days? Well, my answer would be the best people in the world are flying them. Yeah. Uh, but I think it would, it would be very hard to do a lot of the things that we did at Pebble Mill. I mean, we had helicopters. The only helicopter we didn't bring in was a Chinook. And the pilot came up and had a recce of the building and he said, I've only got six foot clearance with the blades. And he said, I would, I would do it if it was an emergency. But landing in a TV studio, I think that's a bit silly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but we had all the other helicopters. The RAF did send some along. The Army sent some along. And, uh, yeah, we had, we had a lot. But we also did upsailing down, down to the roof of the building. We did all kinds of things. You talk about the roof of the building. I mean, on one occasion, they had somebody from a circus jumped from the roof into a, a big collection of cardboard boxes. It was a stunned man from the Eden line. He jumped up just just off one floor down from the roof and onto the cardboard boxes, you could quite rightly say. 
hurt himself a little bit, but uh, he was quite happy. <laughs> and then after that, he actually did a series of uh, stunts for the programme. John, we have to mention presenters because you had four really good regular presenters. Uh, the late Donnie MacLeod, yeah, Bob Langley, David Seymour. And Marion Foster. I was with Marion just a few weeks ago. You put her through something when we opened the NEC buildings at Birmingham. Wasn't she on the lake? Oh, yes, she was. You're absolutely right. We had her going around the lake and uh, she fell in. (laughs) What we didn't know, that her wellies that she had on filled up with water and when she was saying help, I thought from the scanner she was acting it up a bit and she wasn't but we got her out in time didn't she have safety jacket or something on she, was... uh, she had a safety jacket but the weight of the well is full of water <laughs> was pulling her down and then, and then John I seem to remember you trying to cook the biggest pancake ever on uh, Shrove Tuesday yeah. but, but nobody had calculated how long it would take to crack all the eggs to make, <laughs> to make, to make the batter all I remember is it must have been a scaffold pole on a sort of lever with a great big metal dish on the end. <laughs> but, but, but then, John, a house was built, wasn't it? I mean, you were the forerunners of do-it-yourself and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, what happened there was uh, it was when the house building was politically uh, the right time to be building houses and they wanted to be building more houses. I went to the Daily Mail Ideal Home Show and asked the guys that built the houses there how long it would take them to build a house in the back garden. They said, well, we could do it in a week. <laughs> and uh, so we set them about. We blew the whistle on Monday lunchtime. And I said to them, I just got to be finished by Friday lunchtime. And they, they did. They had it finished. It was a four-bedroom detached house. We kept it up for a month. And every weekday, we had a new designer come in. So Jasper Conrad and all these people came in and put their repetitive to what was right, what was wrong. And I think you did the garden many times as well, Peter, didn't you? John, we had two greenhouses. We had one that was double glazed and one that was single glazed and we registered the heat input on the two. And when the wind blew, and it really did off that uh, 10-floor high building, it actually blew the heat out of an ordinary uh, greenhouse, but the uh, twin-skinned one it, it it just held the heat, yeah. Yeah. Can you remember when we built the hydroponics greenhouse? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That, that was ahead of its time. And we were the early days of polytunnels, and I remember having a straw bale at, at the back entrance in the corridor, getting it steamed up before we moved into the polytunnel to keep that heated during the winter. Yeah. yeah. We did some crazy things, John. Well, what we mustn't forget is that most of this was done in the in the winter months as well. You didn't have the advantage of the warm summers or whatever, because no. in the summer we were off the air. Yes, when all gardening programmes went off the air, we came on, yeah. and then we went off when they all started again. Absolutely. I think, John, the introduction of uh, the polytunnel was my saviour, because it meant that we could sow salads, um, several of the winter vegetables, and whatever the weather was, we could go into the polytunnel and have some protection. And then, of course, we could have an early start in the spring, again with the polytunnel, and have crops to harvest by the time the programme ended at the end of May. 
But I mean, you, you didn't help me, John, because you would wheel out three cameras. That was on a good day. Well, exactly. But then one would go down, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, and another one you would need to hold back for some reason because some damn singer needed something. And I'd be left with one camera. Yeah. And we'd be rehearsed for... Uh, I don't know, eight minutes, and then you'd say, oh, no, 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 we've only got seven, uh, and then it would be back to six, uh, and you've only got one camera. I mean, you weren't always kind to uh, us gardeners out there at the back with the wind blowing everything everywhere. You have to work on the outside world, Peter. <laughs> and I meet gardeners now, or homeowners, I should say, who say thank you for being introduced to gardening by watching Pebble Mill at one on a Friday lunchtime. But what was the size of the garden? 12 by 10, if I remember? Yeah, exactly right. 10 foot by 12 foot. Spend a pound and pick enough fresh vegetables to feed a family of four at least once a week. Yeah. It's not bad going, is it? <laughs> In fact, you could do that nowadays and be relevant. Everything that we did then is still relevant today. Yeah. 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 Thanks, John. It's great speaking to you. Nice speaking to you, Peter, as well. My thanks to Sutton's, sponsors of this podcast, and also my producer this week, Rich Jarman. I look forward to speaking to you next week. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.